A reading from the book of Genesis. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you here. Since, you are five, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen here. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you haven't been in Sunday school the last few weeks, you've been missing a good study as we've looked at the women in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. I thought of the story I'm going to tell this morning because Mike's mother, my good friend Mike's mother's name was Naomi and my mother's name was Ruth, the focus of our Sunday school class this morning. Mike and I were buddies. We lived in Oakley, Kansas. Oakley is a wide spot in the road a little bit off of I-70 in that land where there's nothing between Kansas City and Denver. My dad was the pastor of the Oakley Baptist Mission where 10 to 15 of us gathered every Sunday in a basement on Main Street for worship. Mike and I were the two children in the church and so we, we were a little sparse to have vacation Bible school. So Naomi and Ruth, our mothers, decided to send us to the Church of the Nazarene, hoping that we wouldn't become little Nazarene followers, to vacation Bible school. Now you understand, 
I was the first son of, of Oakley Baptist Mission, and Mike was just, you know, kind of down the, you know, I was number one. We had opening assembly, and Mike was sitting about where John McFarlane is sitting, and I was sitting about where Ann is sitting. On the communion table were two apples. There was a big, red, shiny apple. And then there was an apple that was small. It looked like somebody had taken a hammer to it and beaten it, and it was turning brown. Well, we were the visiting kids, and so the person doing the opening assembly said, Mike and Lane, I want you to come up and choose an apple. Mike was on the outside of the pew. Mike got down there first. Guess what Mike picked? The shiny red apple. I'm the first son of Oakley Baptist Mission, and I'm used to getting the bright, shiny apple. All that was left was the beaten up, sad looking, decaying little apple. And so I picked it up, went back to the seat, tears started to form in my eyes. And the director said, Lane, I think there's a toothpick in that apple. There was, and I pulled the toothpick out, the apple opened, and there was a nickel inside the apple. Folks, things aren't always the way they seem, are they? I could buy way more than an apple. I could buy some good candy in 1955 with a nickel. I could buy a candy bar. Things aren't always the way they seem. We think we've got life under control. We've got things planned. But things aren't always the way they seem. But the good news is, is that there's more at work in our lives than what's on the surface. It's the way that God does more for us than we can do for ourselves. That hidden work of God we call providence. Not the same thing as fate. It's not having our lives decided by the stars or by the eclipse of the sun or whatever. But rather providence proclaims that God is a player. God is at work in our lives even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, even when it's hidden from the naked eye. God is not merely a shadow a reflection of our own good intentions. God is a power at work in our lives. That brings us to the story of Joseph. If you were one of Joseph's brothers, I imagine you would have found it easy to dislike Joseph. If you recall, he was daddy's favorite. Daddy liked him best. He was the family pet. And in an extreme case of sibling conflict and dislike, his brother selling, sell him off to slavery and then pretend he has, he has been killed, sending their father into deep, deep grief. Joseph ends up in Egypt. And after being in prison for a time, 
He rises to great power and influence in the Egyptian government. And in an incredible twist, he turns out after many years, as we heard in the text, to be the one to give his needy, starving family food. They accept it, and they don't have a clue who he is. When Joseph finally identifies himself to his brothers at the beginning of the text for this morning, they recognize him, and they're frightened out of their wits. After all, what goes around comes around. Wouldn't you have been worried if you were one of Joseph's brothers? Joseph has a lot of unsettled grudges. He's a powerful man. He can imprison, even have them put to death. And we wait. We wait. The air is thick with tension. How is Joseph going to respond? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Fear, anxiety, dread on the part of the brothers. They've mistreated him. They separated him from his family. It's time to settle accounts. It's reckoning day. But we know the end, don't we? Joseph, a man of faith, doesn't live life merely on the surface. Joseph is willing to trust that something going on in and through him is deeper than what's on the surface. It's larger than, than himself. It's beyond him. And in, instead of ignoring it, he honors it. When does he recognize this? At what point? Late one night when he's in prison? After he's given power in Egypt? When his brothers show up hungry, when does he turn that corner? When does it cease to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? When does it cease to be, I'm going to get mine? We don't know, but the truth is, somehow in the midst of all of this pain and loss and grief and, and lying and deceiving, God's been at work. Perhaps that's true in your life as well. Sometimes life is difficult, and it's difficult to see that or experience that or know that, particularly when things aren't going well. There's loss, there's pain, there's grief, there's betrayal, and it's difficult. It's difficult to imagine that God can be found somewhere in the midst of all of that. Appreciated Paul's prayer this morning, quoting from Romans. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Joseph says, Guess what? I'm your brother. Whoa. But he assures them that he wishes them no harm. Wishes them nothing but good. Do you see how the violence and the lying and the killing and the deception come to an end? Because somebody chooses. Somebody chooses it stops here. 
No longer is it going to be in my family an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This vicious cycle of hate and fear and violence that they had begun. He says no. He's willing to break it with an act of kindness. How is he able to do this? Because I be- he believes with his head, his heart, his life that something bigger has been and is at work in his life. And so he can live a larger life instead of a smaller life. He tells them exactly why he's willing to act in such a generous, unexpected way. He says it three times in good preacher fashion. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them and tell them what you told them. And it's all in, in the, within four verses. Verse 5, 7, and 8, skipping 6. Verse 5, God sent me before you to save your lives. Verse 7, God sent me before you to keep your families alive and and to save you in this wonderful way. Verse 8, you weren't really the ones who sent me here. It was God. Joseph is able to do this. He's able to offer hospitality because he's willing to take, take a deep look into his own life and acknowledge that God has been and is at work even when things didn't look good. In the Luke text for this morning, Jesus seems to take the Joseph story as a case in point. In our small world, we know whom to trust, we know whom to fear, we know whom to love, and we know whom to hate. We know who wears the white hats and who wears the black hats. Anybody that agrees with me wears the white hat. Anybody that doesn't agree with me wears a black hat. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But Jesus won't have any of that. Four times in verse 27 and 28, Jesus offers his followers imperatives. Love your enemies. Not, I think it would be a good idea. Not, let me suggest. No, it's an imperative. Do it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. In other words, do what Joseph did. Jesus is saying if we reduce our lives to the simple practice of loving our friends and those who think and look and act like us and hating our enemies and being generous only to those whom we like and trust, what's the big deal? Anyone can do that. Any thief, any sinner, any atheist, anybody who can count can keep score. Jesus says to you and me this morning, You there, you followers of mine, those who claim to follow me, those of you folk over there at McLean Baptist Church. You're not part of that pitiful bunch of frightened people. You have the freedom and the power to act, to live differently. You know about the large purposes of God. You know that God is a real player in your lives. Why are you acting like fearful Atheists, pretending that I'm not at work in your life. Do you love your hate? Do you love your fear? You want to keep them? 
I want to ask you, Jesus says. I want to ask you to live. I want to ask you to live in ways that affirm that God's at work through the larger purposes. Through larger purposes than your small ideas, your small minds, your small imaginations. Verse 37, don't judge. You don't have to put everyone in a category and stereotype everybody. Forgive and give because God's huge and powerful generosity, God's redemptive purposes for the world want to work in and through you and me. You know, you ever thought of putting yourself in Joseph's position in light of his previous experience with his brothers? It surely crossed his mind that if he was generous and kind to his brothers, at some point they would come back and take advantage of him. My daddy used to say, if they use you once, shame on them. If they use you twice, shame on you. In an act of utter faith and hospitality, Joseph opens his heart, his arms to his brothers. Joseph knows that God can give more and do more than his brothers can give or withhold. He refuses to give his brothers power over him by allowing them to dictate to control his actions. When we live according to our fears, our hates, our hurt, we don't live as God intends for us to live. Our lives become small and we lack joy, we become defensive with an utter lack of hospitality and generosity. What do you need? What do you need to release in order to know that joy? In order to know the hospitality of God? What fear? What hurt? What hate do you need to let go of? What is it that you need to release to God's care here, now, today? Is it something that a friend said or did to you that hurt you? And that relationship is strained and perhaps even broken? Is it something that your parent did to you years ago and you've never gotten over it? Perhaps it's something that another member of McLean Baptist Church said to you. And you're keeping that. And not willing to let it go. Perhaps it's a business dealing that, that went awry. And now the fear and hate controls you. I don't know what it is. But you do. The good news of the witness of Joseph's life and what Jesus said and did 
is that we don't have to live small lives in a small world anymore. God wants us to be more alive than we've ever been. God invites us to a new and large life of faith. Even, even, especially when others mean us harm. For God invites us to be forgiving as well as forgiven. No, things are not always as they seem. Thanks be to God for that. For God is at work in your life and in mine. Gracious God, whatever is in our hearts and our lives that lead us to live small, hateful, fearful, closed lives, may we give that to you, O God and live large, expansive lives of love and generosity. Please, O oh God, through Christ our Lord. Amen.